And we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. That's been our central scripture throughout our 50-year celebration. That's on page 815 in your Bible. And I'm going to read to you from Paul's letter to the Ephesians as that sets the, has been setting the tone for our 50-year celebration. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And if you skip down to verse 25, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building of others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen." And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. God is good. All the time. You guys do that really, really well. That's, that's, that's impressive. Get your Bibles out if you would and turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to use Chris's Bible. It's cooler than mine. Look at that. That's, that's nice. Ephesians 4, verse 15. And take your Bible because I'm going to see whether or not you have one in just a second because you're going to hold it up. Hold up your Bible. If you're not holding up one, I'm, I'm, I see you there. Okay. Okay. So this is my Bible. I can do what it says I can do. Can have what it says I can have. I can be who it says I can be. And now the big Lutheran ending. So there then. 
For those of you new to the church, uh, so there then is Lutheran for amen. And uh, I just, just threw that in. We're going to talk about Reformation Sunday here, if you want to go to that slide. How to grow in truth and love. We're going to focus on verse 15, if you want to get ready for that. Ephesians 4, verse 15. I want to thank Pastor Chris and the committee for inviting me here. It's fun to be back. And it's fun to be back for something other than a funeral. That's, uh, <laughs> there's been some dear people that have gotten to be with the Lord in the last few years. And uh, it's, they're just really, really irreplaceable. And uh, it's been such a blessing to be back together with you guys for those things. But uh, thanks for everybody for inviting me here. Wendy, my wife, sends her greetings. She's going through a routine medical thing tomorrow, so she can't be here today. And my son, Lars, is 26 if you can believe that. So people do get big at some point. All right, bring you greetings if you want to go to the next slide from your daughter congregation. You have a beautiful nine-year-old daughter called Robinwood Church, and she is beautiful. And she's meeting right now during this exact same time at Marina High School. We just started meeting there three weeks ago, and it is such a great place to meet. It really is. It's uh, this big cafeteria, and it's all bright, and it's got new paint and the whole thing, so we're really enjoying that. We've got some Robin Wooders here. You want to raise your hand? Just If you're here, just visiting. I've got a few over here, a few over here. We'll row a couple back here. Great to see you guys. And uh, Don't be afraid to visit once in a while. We should circulate and see each other. Got to visit the kids once in a while, and virtually all the time, we've got some kids visiting mom here, so we're very blessed to have your partnership. There's some really neat churches here in the area that cooperate on a lot of things. I got together with the pastor of Hope and the pastor of Radiant and some other people from those churches last week, and we we're starting to pray together as churches, and we invite you guys to join us for that too so that we can look for ways to move the kingdom forward. I'm getting a little bit of resonance there at the bottom. Are you hearing that? Okay, good. So you've got a beautiful nine-year-old daughter. She says hello. And uh, Tamara Derica, if you know her, is the associate pastor. She's preaching this morning. And we're very blessed to have her preach. She's way better preacher than I am, so I'm not worried about it. And uh, glad to be here. Grace, on the other hand, next slide, is 50. 50. And 50 is a great age. I love my 50s way better than my 40s. I remember when I was first married. We would go to people's houses who were in their 50s, and they looked like they had their act together. It was wonderful. Things were clean. Things weren't broken. Everything, nothing missing, nothing broken. These people must be in their 50s. It was, it was, it was folks, as a congregation, congregations and people have a very similar life arc. And your 50s can be one of your best times, a time of wisdom, a time of influence, a time of having your act together so you can do more important things. And so as this church moves into its 50s, I really do believe it can be your most special decade. Our church, on the other hand, is nine, and uh, she's a little squirrely sometimes. And <laughs> just getting rid of baby teeth and all that kind of thing. So it's a whole different deal. And we're not capable of doing some of the things that a 50-year-old church can do. So don't look back. Look into this decade. I mean, think about it. The facility's built. You've got kind of your culture created. You can really be about the Lord's business at this point and get some things done. And people in their 50s have a lot more money than people who are nine. So think about that. You've got some resources here, and you're able to share for the kingdom. So please take advantage of these very important, this very important decade coming up. But the movement, next slide, 
the Reformation. And those of you who know me well know I'm terrible at math. I realize on the way here it's 498. <laughs> the Reformation will be 500 in two years. And uh, 1517 was the day that, uh, or the year that Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door, which set off the Protestant Reformation. And in two years, that movement will be 500 years old. And one of the least significant things that Martin Luther did was give birth to the Lutheran Church. One of the least significant. He was a cultural innovator of the first level. If you were to go to any secular university, any secular university, and go to the history department and ask them to name the five most influential people in human history, there would not be one faculty that wouldn't put Martin Luther on that list. Martin Luther ushered out the medieval world and ushered in the modern world. The Middle Ages ended with Martin Luther. He emptied the monasteries. He started public education and literacy, put the Bible into the language of the people, created a whole different way of being, especially through an idea called freedom of conscience. We can't tell you what to think. And people in the Middle Ages were always telling people what to think and punishing them if they thought the wrong thing. And the whole idea of democracy came out of that idea of freedom of conscience. That it's really up to us and the Lord and the Word to figure out what it is we believe about things. And it unleashed incredible waves of, of creativity. And the Lutheran Church is just a part of what Martin Luther did. So we are heirs to the, the Reformation and all of its tradition and all that it brought about and all that it caused. And California would not look the way California looks if it wasn't for Martin Luther. So we're very grateful to be a part of that movement. Martin Luther, on the other hand, had some issues. He was terrible at eschatology, end time stuff. He really believed he was living in the Great Tribulation. And if you want to talk to the Antichrist, he says, his name's Leo, he's the Pope, and I'll show you his address. <laughs> and we've been dealing with that ever since. It's the dirty little secret in Lutheran theology that we don't know anything about eschatology because we're so embarrassed about Martin Luther. He also was terrible about, he didn't think there's any need for missions. The whole world's heard by now, he says, and the world for him was a little place. He wasn't even sure if the sun was the center of the, the solar system, and he wasn't even sure there was a Western Hemisphere. And so he said, well, people have heard now, and they're either Muslims or Christians, so we'll just leave it at that. We don't need missionaries anymore. So he's terrible at missions, terrible at eschatology, and he hated the Jews. That's not a really good thing to do. People who have hated the Jews have paid for that. And he was an anti-Semite, and we have to be honest about that. So he was not a perfect person. Incredibly influential. And he would not want us to see him as an example or as a role model. Because he's just a person. And I've said this to you before, and some people got really mad at me, but it's true. If he had his way, the, the name Lutheran would be taken off the church sign. He hated the name Lutheran. He said, don't call any church Lutheran because I've got issues. And then he had a great phrase, maggot fodder that I will be. Maggots will eat my body someday. Don't call a church Lutheran. Call it evangelisch, was the word he would use, evangelical. And to this day, in Germany, there's two state churches. You're katholisch or evangelisch. You don't see Lutheran on the sign. He didn't want us to look backward. 
To be part of a reformation is to look forward, to be reforming. There's different flavors of churches, as I'm sure you're aware. The big faith families are the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox, the Lutherans, the Anglicans, and the Reformed. And the Reformed have the worst name of all of them. Because look at the word Reformed. It's as if it's finished. It's as if it's done. Oh, we're the, we're the church that got Reformed. If Martin Luther had his way, the church would be Reformanda, which would be Reforming. Reforming means moving forward, not looking back at the way they did it in the Reformation. Do you understand the difference? Reforming means moving forward, grounded in the Word, listening to the Holy Spirit, not imitating what people did in the past. Imitating Martin Luther's courage at reforming, and he was incredibly courageous, stared down everybody, the Pope, the Emperor, whatever. He wasn't afraid of anything. Maybe he was just stupid, I don't know, but he wasn't afraid. And he just, he died in his, peacefully in his 50s. So, the whole idea of the Reformation is to be reforming. And we're not really in his heritage unless we are reforming. It's ironic that the greatest reformer in the church today is a Roman Catholic named Francis. Think about it. Think about it. He probably deserves that title more than some other leaders. Because he's actually trying to do what to the Catholic Church? Reform it. He's looking forward. And in that way, he's a child of Martin Luther. And to be worthy of being in this movement, we want to be looking forward, not backward. Martin Luther wasn't looking backward, he was looking forward. So to be reforming, we have to look at the word which gives us a grounding from which to do that. So turn to Ephesians 4.15, we'll go to the next slide. 4.15. Your Bible says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. This is so full, we're going to spend the entire message on this passage. We had to hear the context, so I'm grateful to Pastor Chris for reading that. But Paul, who wrote this, was just as much a reformer as Luther. The original Christians... You could have called them Jews for Jesus. Paul was Jewish too. But he realized it was a bigger world. And to make people, to make Christians out of Gentiles, you couldn't get there by making them Jews first. First of all, circumcision was a pretty big hurdle for most men. It's not gonna, you think baptism is a problem. I don't want to be immersed. Oh, you poor kid, try, try to become Jewish. He realized that for Gentiles who were not Jewish to receive Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, they would, he would have to connect them directly to Jesus. As Pastor Joe said so many times, and I, I steal so much Joe's stuff, even his jokes. Boy, I lost my train of thought entirely there. <laughs> Jesus plus nothing is a joke 
a Joe quote, which I think is, sums up the gospel. Jesus plus nothing. And that was Paul. Paul said, all right, I'm laying hands on Gentiles. They're getting hammered by the Holy Spirit. They're receiving Christ. They're getting baptized. They're forming communities around this belief and around this experience. And the home office let Paul know that you kind of got to make them Jews first. Paul, much like Luther, said, not happening. And he stared down all of the other apostles in Jerusalem. And he didn't even trust them, so he wrote, the book of, he wrote the letter of Galatians to send it out to Galatia, Gentiles, to make sure they didn't backslide because he knew that there were people coming out from Jerusalem to try to turn them into Jews first. And he knew that would ruin the whole thing. How many of you have ever had a dream that someday you'd be at least famous or important for at least a few minutes? Be honest. Come on. Yeah, you're Lutherans, you're not going to raise your hands. But anyway, <laughs> no, not me. How many of you think the Roman Empire had a lot of big, powerful people in it over a thousand-year history? The two most powerful people ever to walk the Via Sacra, which is the main street in Rome, if you've ever been there in the Forum, to walk on those stones, were the Apostle Paul and Martin Luther. And nobody, when they were walking down the street, noticed they were there you might be making a bigger difference than you think. It's not about being famous. It's about being influential for the Lord. I heard a poet last night on NPR. She said, uh, be like St. Augustine was and all the miles he walked before he became St. Augustine. Most of his life he wasn't that important. There's a lot of walking that goes into these things. Paul and Martin Luther did a lot of traveling before they became big world histories, world changers. And so Reformation has to do with this verse. So this is a verse written by a guy who was a reformer. And where did Martin Luther get all of his ideas about Reformation from? Reading who? Paul. Paul got dragged into the home office at Jerusalem and basically told to line up he didn't back down. In fact, he convinced them. He convinced them that if we want to reach the world, we can't make them Jews first. They're not going to do it. Jesus plus nothing. So he wrote Ephesians. Let's look at this verse. Ephesians 4.15. And I have up on the screen Paul's original wording to the letter. And it says here, it doesn't say, speaking the truth, it says, Aletheontus, which is Truthing. There's no mention there of speaking, just truthing. Truthing in practice and what we do, seeking and going after truth. How many ever been in an argument, especially with your spouse, where you know you're a little bit wrong, but you just keep pushing anyways because you want to be right? <laughs> we do that theologically all the time. When we have an argument with someone from a different denomination and we're arguing for infant baptism, back in the back of our minds, you think, yeah, but a lot of people, in, the, in fact, most people in the Bible were baptized by immersion. Well, so, so we argue. Paul says, no. It's not about winning the argument. It's not about convincing other people. It's about going after truth together. And to go after truth together, you've got to be willing to let go of some things you know probably aren't really true. And be fearless in going after the truth. True thing in agape, in love. True thing, or literally unhiding things, therefore, in agape, which is Christian love. We're going to talk about that in a second. 
we grow toward the everything, the fullness in him, that being the head or the source. Genesis 1.1 says, uh, in, the, in the head times, the source times, there's no word for beginning in Hebrew, in the, your head is the source of your body. A husband is a spiritual source of the family. And so, he is the source, the anointed one. So let's go to the first slide and let's unpack this passage a little bit. We're talking about what Sunday here? You're all wearing red? Okay. You're wearing red not because you're freshman football players and you want to play another four years. You're wearing red because we want to be reforming. Not reformed. Nobody gets there. I don't like that completed sense, like they've arrived. Reforming. My wife loves puzzles. She missed work once because she lost track of time with a puzzle. Just got into it. How many of you just really get into a puzzle and you just, your, your world disappears? When you do a puzzle, you look at the box because you want to see what it's supposed to look like when you're finished. So you look for the sky parts, you look for the corner parts, you look for all the different parts. It's important that when we reform, and Grace is very much a reforming church. Grace has paid the price several times when I was pastor, probably several times when you've been pastor, probably several times before, in order to go after truth and go after love, sometimes it gets messy. And things don't operate in order. And it's ironic that the Lutheran church which was the most radical movement in church history, became one of the denominations that's the most inflexible. Happened to Calvary Chapel, too. Remember Calvary Chapel in the 70s? Hippies, everything else. Oh, you just did coke last night? Well, come find Jesus today. Now, one step out of line at Calvary, you get caught having a glass of wine with your wife at a restaurant at your anniversary, you get fired. Very often, the most radical movements get legalistic. And that's happened. We had a song in seminary that we sang in the cafeteria. Unbending, unchanging, and stubborn as mules were God's holy chosen. We follow the rules. <laughs> We've become... Go to any other denomination and say, yeah, Lutherans are radical, aren't they? They'll just look at you and just laugh. You're kidding. You're the structure, people. And we've become that. This church, though, has always been a little different, which is why you're no longer in the big denomination. This church has always been a church that's gone after the truth and gone after the Holy Spirit, gone after the Word, and being willing to reform. If you don't reform, it's a lot safer, a lot more structured. You know what to expect. But if you're following the Holy Spirit and your leader, and your leaders at the church here, who knows where the Lord's going to lead you next month? It might not be what you did 10 years ago. The Reformation, folks, was so radical, I don't know that we could handle it today. It was so thoroughgoing. Changed the way everyone did their life. And that is what following Jesus is all about. Next slide. You have to have a true target, a puzzle 
picture you're going after. And the puzzle picture shouldn't be the way the Lutheran church was in 1580. If we just recreate that, if we just dress the way they dress, sing their, their songs, somehow it'll come back. Folks, it doesn't work that way. The puzzle, the puzzle picture we need to go after is Ephesians 4.15. Truthing in love, growing into the anointed one. That's the target. Not looking back, looking. You can't run a revolution looking in the rearview mirror. Martin Luther was never looking in the rearview mirror. He's saying, what is the truth about Jesus? What is the truth about the word? What is the truth about the way the world's put together? And how do we start moving in that direction? And you know what? He made a lot of mistakes on the way. A lot of, I, I mentioned some of them. Big mistakes. But he was going after it. Do you under, would, you, would you rather be someone going after it and making mistakes than someone playing it safe? Sure you would. That's why you come to this church. And you go to some other Lutheran churches, you think, whoa, it's like God died in here. How many of you have been to a church like that? I visited a Lutheran church with my wife once in Hawaii, and she pokes me and says, it's like they don't expect God to show up. What's wrong with these people? I said, seriously. Because it's all structured. And if we follow the pattern, then we'll do it right. But the pattern becomes an idol, and if the pattern becomes an idol, you don't need God anymore. You just name him. You don't need him. He just gets mentioned in the bylines. You see, God happens to be this living and active being. And we can't capture him in any one time period. God is living and active right here, right now. So, true thing. Go ahead and put the next slide up. True thing. Alanthano. One of my best friends in seminary, we had old apartments in Chicago covered with layers and layers of paint, and he started stripping the paint away, Dan Bell. And there's this marvelous molding work and this, this hardwood floors and all this stuff under all this paint. And it was beautiful. It was built in 1892. Imagine the wood from back then. And he was just tirelessly scraping away in an apartment he was renting. Of course, when he left, they just painted it right back over again, but still. Watching that wood come to life was beautiful because he loved wood. And going after the truth is like removing the layers of paint. The truth about ourselves. The truth about our world. The truth about God's presence. The truth that we don't know very much about him. Not because it's not in the word, because our brains just can't handle the full thing. One of the things I did here, and some of you got mad when I first did it, was occasionally I'd get to a Bible passage and I'd say, nobody knows what this part means. Do you know there's parts of the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed that nobody knows what they mean? Give us this day our daily bread, that's a guess. That's a guess. We don't, we don't have any idea what that phrase in Greek means because that word only occurs once in all Greek literature and it's in the Lord's Prayer. We're not sure. The Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell or into the dead. Nobody knows what that means. Oh, there's a Bible verse that sorta and sorta and sorta, but that's about it. The communion of saints, nobody knows what that means either. And I would actually say that. And the truth is often that we don't know. It's that we don't know. People came to Martin Luther and they said, can you lose your salvation once you've been saved? And he gave the best answer I could possibly imagine. Yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Because the Bible says both things. And it's intention. And you can't solve those things. And part of telling the truth is being willing to say, 
I don't know. I don't know if that person's with the Lord right now. I don't know if my kids are saved. I don't know if I really came to faith when I thought I came to faith because something bigger happened later and I really came to faith. How many think not knowing something is really important sometimes? Just saying, hey, I don't know that. I don't know what this stuff means. Some stuff we know, some stuff we don't. Telling the truth. The next one, agape. Agape is a translation of the Hebrew chesed, which is the most important word in the book of Psalms. King David, you could call every psalm, almost every psalm, a search for chesed. Chesed is the kind of love you don't earn that's always there and like the sun, always shining. If the clouds are there, the sun's still there. It doesn't mean the sun's gone. If the earth's rotated around, the sun's still shining, just because we're on the other side of it. Chesed is love that never fails no matter what you do, and you can't turn it up and you can't turn it down. It's always there. David's problem was he didn't really believe that sometimes in his life because his life stunk a lot. A lot of it was his own making. David made some... You think Bill Clinton was a problem? Yeah, he didn't have people killed that he was trying to date. David did. David was messed up. Pretty jacked up sometimes. And you know what he did? He would say so. Tell the truth. He was a truther. Do you know that the Green Book, the Green Hymn Book, which we don't have anymore, left out those psalms because they're too nasty? I don't think that's telling the truth. How many of you think we feel nasty sometimes? Feel nasty. But he'd start by telling God the truth, and a good third of the psalms could be translated as, God, what are you thinking? You're making, you're making me look bad, and you're making you look bad. That's truth. But the psalm would be a search for chesed. And except for two or three psalms, he finds it. And he lands there. Goes through the valley of the shadow of death. Ends up feasting with the king. But you tell the truth, and you go after the truth. Never fully owning the truth. And we don't. I, the older I get, the more tired I get of theologians and pastors who know everything. It's just really tiresome. It's not truthful. The twin power tools coming up here. Truthing and agape. Those are, two, those are the twin power tools of Reformation. And those of you who know me know I love power tools. In fact, I've borrowed some of your tools and you've forgotten, so I'm keeping them, but still. <laughs> that torque wrench was awesome, by the way. The twin power tools of Reformation are truthing and showing love for everybody. We're such, an, we're such a polarized world, especially Orange County. Orange County, wherever you sit politically, the other people are demons. That's crazy. It's just crazy stuff. Just say you disagree with them. Be respectful of other human beings. I've heard the most vicious stuff from people about people who disagree with them. It's just not appropriate. It's not. Will Rogers said, I never met a man I didn't like. That's agape. 
Not just love, try to like people. Now, I understand this church is pretty easy. There's a lot of likable people here. How many of you there's less likable people at the swap meet? That's <laughs> true. But loving people that disagree with you. Jesus even said something I don't like to hear. Love your enemies. Respect them as human beings. Respect the unborn. Respect your political adversaries. Respect if you're a conservative liberals and the other way around. Learn to respect and love people. That difficult neighbor. And yes, God put that person next to you because you need to learn something. I've always had a difficult neighbor, wherever I've been. Always. The weirdest people on the planet end up living next to us. It just happens. <laughs> because God keeps using that to, to grow me. And when I learn to respect that person, I start to learn. It's in love that we quit trying to win arguments and we, we start inviting our opponents to go after truth together. And we start to pay attention to, you know, the people you don't like ha just happen to be God's masterpiece. You know what I'm really tired of hearing? People hating on Muslims. I'm really tired of that. Really tired of that. Do I think Islam is great? No, I think it's a crazy religion. I really do. I think it's got violent tendencies, obviously. But I hear people just saying the most hateful things about all Muslims. It's just, it's not appropriate. It's not of the Lord. It's not of the Lord. Do you know that Muslims like Jesus? Like a lot? They write poems about him? Am I saying it's just as good as being a Christian? No, I'm not saying that. Like it's a false religion. But these are human beings the Lord made. People Jesus died for. And to treat people with respect is what chesed is all about. Not, if, not just because they're nice to you or because they agree with you. But we need to show the love of Jesus. And some Christians are the least loving people in this country. Unbelievable, some of the things people do. You ever go to a nice Christian event and those people, those big, the big banners? Dallas a million degrees hot. And you're going there. I got, there's a street preacher downtown. I cannot convince him I'm saved. There's a street preacher in downtown Huntington Beach. He's been there for years. I say, hey, brother, how are you doing? Are you saved? Yeah, it's me again. <laughs> yes, I know the Lord and I love the Lord. You don't look saved. <laughs> that guy's winning a lot of friends. He's, he's, he's our best publicity agent, don't you think? We should just... Uh, Put them, on the, put them on the roll. Why do we have this love? Is it because we should? No, it's because we've experienced the love of God when we have had a collision with the Holy Spirit. If you've had a collision with the Holy Spirit, you have experienced, you might have it at communion today. You might have it during the music. If you've had a collision with the Holy Spirit, you have experienced chesed and agape. You experienced the fact that God loves you just the way you are. I'm not saying he wants you to stay that way. I'm just saying he'll start with you right now where you are and there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. We all had conditional parents. They always say, oh, we love you unconditionally. We knew that wasn't true about our parents. I loved my parents, but they were very conditional on certain things. They didn't like the letters C, D, and F when they came home in report cards. <laughs> they reacted differently than A and B. 
There was some conditional stuff there. We didn't go out for ice cream when we got D's. Unconditional is what we feel from the Lord when we experience him. Next slide. Pastor Joe and I came out, come out of the tradition of Lutherans, comes out of Norway called the Hauge tradition. And uh, Joe is an embodiment of that. He goes around hugging and loving on everybody. And I'm kind of a wannabe guy like that. Someday I'll get to be like Joe. But it'll happen. I'll just start putting teddy bears in the room and we'll, we'll be good. But the Norwegian term is leven de tru, which is living faith. And that's something my grandma talked about. It's something Joe's spiritual ancestors talked about. It's called living faith. And living faith doesn't come because someone taught it to you. Living faith comes out of an experience of the love of God. Living faith is a relationship with a dynamic being. It's not ascribing to a certain theology. It's not being reformed or Lutheran. It's about going after truth and love. It's about reforming our lives. It's about reforming the church. And reforming the church is harder sometimes than reforming society because people's faith is involved. And that can be very brittle sometimes. In our tradition, the Hauge tradition, even to true, living faith was called the daughter of grace. It's what flows out of an experience of God's grace and his love. And if you want to change the world, the best thing you can do is not get into politics. The best thing you can do is to go after a full-bodied experience of the presence of God. That will change you. If you hate all Muslims, connect with Jesus and ask him how he feels about them. If you hate your political opponents, connect with Jesus and ask what he thinks of them. He loves them. And living faith comes out of a living relationship with a living God. And that's what Martin Luther ran into. Happened to have happened to him on the toilet, which is unfortunate, aesthetically. But he was constipated his whole life and uh, spent a lot of time there. It's true. He also drank more beer than all the rest of you combined, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Martin Luther had an experience on the toilet that changed everything. And that's how God works. He works in our real lives. And Martin Luther had this epiphany that it's not just people who work in churches who are spiritual. And he had this whole idea of calling and that you can, you can clean bathrooms to the glory of God just as important as if you're an archbishop. The whole completely changed the idea of calling. In Roman Catholic churches, they, all, they still say, are you one of the religious, which means you give up the marketplace to become ordained. And Luther said, every calling is equally spiritual which is pretty cool, very cool. But that calling is dynamic. Next slide, we're almost done here. Some of you forget that I tend to go long. I'm gonna to try to wrap this up. Growth is not about controlling others. A reformation is not trying to get people to think the way we think. A reformation is going after truth and going after the love of God. That will change who we are, it'll change how we act, and it will change the world. It's not about political power, it's not about how many donors you have, it's how willing you are to be one of those people. And if you're willing to be one of those people, you will change the world around you.
You ever notice when somebody who's like that walks into a room, it changes everything? Jan walks into a hospital room, it changes the room. I've been there. It changes the room, not because of Jan, but because he brings that. Because he's experienced the love of God in a personal way. And that the daughter of that is living faith. That's the Reformation. It's not about telling other people what to do. Be honest about what you don't know. Second to last slide, if you want to put that up, be honest about what you don't know. There's a lot we don't know. Letting go of things we just pretend to know. People come to me and say, do you think God's punishing me for what I've done? I, say, I don't know. I used to say, maybe, and then I started saying, no, never, God would never do that. And I'm, now I'm realizing, I don't know what God's doing. Let's pray about it. Let's go after the truth together. Let's figure out what he's about here. Maybe, maybe he is disciplining us. I don't know. Do you understand the difference between that and just having a pat theological answer? Why do good things happen to bad people? I hate it when people say, oh, it's free will. Oh, that solves the whole thing, doesn't it? That solves the typhoons in Bangladesh and everything else. It must have been free will somehow. I mean, it's ridiculous. We don't know. But how can we seek God together in this pain? How can we seek his presence here? How can we go after the truth? How can we love each other through this? That's what it's about. I'm going to end in a way that I almost never end. I'd like you to close your eyes. The year is 2017. Close your eyes. I can see. You guys think we don't see up here? We see everything. The year is 2017. It's the 500th year celebration of the Reformation. You're in Wittenberg in Germany. And you're inside the church, the university church, where Martin Luther put the 95 Theses on the door. You're by yourself at sunrise. You've been out walking in the dark. You saw, a door, you saw an open door. You walked inside, and you're sitting alone in the church, and it's stone, and it's chilly in there. You wished you'd brought a sweater. And the first light is just coming through the stained glass windows, and you start to see the outline of the pulpit. Sunrise is on its way. And you're in Germany for the 500th year, five-century celebration of the Reformation. You got up early. The rest of your group is still at the hotel. You went for a walk in the dark. And you're sitting alone in the church. And the light starts to build in the window. And it starts streaming in. You feel your breath quicken a little bit. And you sense the presence of the Holy Spirit coming for you. The Holy Spirit isn't paying attention to the gathering noise outside as people are setting, setting up all the stalls in the marketplace for the trinkets they're going to sell as souvenirs. And you hear all the noise of them setting up the the stands, but the Holy Spirit's coming for you. 
and you start to shake under his power. Because he loves you so much. Loves you so much. And as never before, you're sensing the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. And the light moves up the window and the face of Jesus gets lit up. And you're not there with the stained glass picture of Jesus. You're, you're feeling his presence. And you're interrupted by the custodian who makes a lot of noise opening the door. Well, how comes to then? Where'd you come in from? Can't speak German, but you're still so full of the love of God. You get up and you walk over towards him and you give him a big hug. And you say in English, the Lord loves you. And so do I. He lets you out into the marketplace. Starting to team with activity, all the tourists here for the big celebration. And you might have made fun of a few of them before this morning. But now in every face, you see a masterpiece of God. And all you want to do is spend the rest of the day sharing that with people. Open your eyes. What's to stop you from doing that all over Orange County today? That's Reformation.